0: Based on preseason prognostications, we don't just keep you there for the sake of keeping you there. We reevaluate every year and right now based on who's coming back for Ohio State and who's departing for Michigan, I do think Ohio State has a slight edge. Hello and welcome to Always College Football with Greg McElroy. Today is Martin Luther King Day. It's January 15th, 2024, and we hope that you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show, whether that's on the podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. We're all over the podcast platforms. Please like, rate, and subscribe because the offseason starts today. We did the, you know, the bow on the season that was last Monday when Michigan brought home the national championship. Then Thursday was really dedicated to Nick Saban, the Alabama coaching search, and we got a great visit from Bryce Young. So today, we're going to get you caught up. If you've been sleeping under a rock the last six or seven days, we are there for you. We got Mark Kubiak. We got Jack Foster. We got Jake Garcia. We got Jack Shrail, We got everybody here to help kind of tune in to what this offseason might look like. We had every intention of doing a way-too-early top 25, but when I sat down, I started to kind of put pen to paper. I started to think that that is honestly an impossible task at the moment. Now, we will do it. I can promise you that. But it doesn't feel right knowing that there are coaching moves and there are vacancies, Arizona in particular, a team that I would have definitely had in my top 10, top 12, top 15 based on what they have returning. Well, they just lost their head coach to the Washington Huskies. So I don't know how to evaluate them. Will they continue? Continue to kind of keep that roster together. We'll find out. I don't know. But as of right now, we didn't feel like we were doing you any favors by putting together a way too early top 25. So we are just going to kind of update you with everything that's gone on in the college football world in the last six or seven days. So if you've taken a break, if you unplugged, now it's time to plug back in. And we're here to do it with you. All right. Ton of changes. We will update you the best way we possibly can. But we'll get things kicked off with the national champions. Is Jim Harbaugh heading to the NFL? We'll find out. We'll kick things off with the latest from the National Championship winning head coach, Jim Harbaugh. What's going on with Jim Harbaugh? There's long been speculation all throughout the offseason, all throughout the 2023 campaign, that this would be the last year. For Jim Harbaugh, the things that went on prior to the fact that people have thought that the NCAA might drop the hammer, who knows? I'm not going to speculate on what happened, what didn't happen. I also don't think that they're necessarily related. Jim Harbaugh has a well-run organization that's fresh off their first championship in a quarter century, but the one thing that evades him is that Super Bowl win. Remember, he was five yards short of winning the Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers about a decade ago. His brother was on the other sideline. He won it knowing Jim Harbaugh, the competitor. Someone tells me that that loss probably still eats at him just a little bit. So here's the latest with what's going on with Jim Harbaugh. The Los Angeles Chargers are set to become the first NFL team to officially meet with Harbaugh about their head coaching vacancy. They're going to be interviewing him a little later this afternoon. That's what Adam Schefter told us from ESPN. There's also a bunch of other openings right now in the NFL. Atlanta, the Falcons have an opening. Carolina has an opening. Vegas, Seattle, Tennessee, and the Washington Commanders. So there's a bunch of openings in the NFL, and we know that Harbaugh, right now, if he stepped into a head coaching job in the league, he would have the highest career winning percentage of any other coach. Which is pretty remarkable when you take that into account. He's been at the NFL, has a great relationship with the Chargers, uh, by all accounts, and the Spanos family—that's the team that—that's the ownership group there for the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, he played for San Diego Chargers in '99 and, and 2000 before he retired after the 2001 season. Now, part of the speculation with Harbaugh started when he hired a new agent. That was Don Yee. That was his agent. Um, he's known for representing Tom Brady. I almost went with Tom Yee when I was coming out uh, as a player. So I know Don or Don Yee. Excuse me, not Tom Yee. Don Yee uh, know him pretty well. Um, and his affiliation with Brady and his familiarity with the NFL is, is pretty impressive. But he also represents Sean Payton. Sean Payton ended up getting the Broncos job, even though there were rumors that Harbaugh might take that last year. So uh, I think right now it'd be highly surprising if Jim Harbaugh does not take an NFL job. Uh, he's had some flirtations remember two years ago was with the Minnesota Vikings that ultimately went to Kevin O'Connell. He also had some negotiations last year. Like we talked about with the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers. And then there was some subtle hints that Indianapolis was in the mix as well, but it does get the sense, man. He just led Michigan to their first national championships. It's 97. And, In the midst of this championship run, being suspended the first three games by the NCAA, getting suspended the last three games by the Big Ten, just feels like maybe the time has come for him to jump back to the NFL. But we'll keep you posted as best we can. All I can report at the moment is that he's meeting with the Los Angeles Chargers today, and that's his first meeting of the sort up to this point. Other Michigan news and notes. JJ McCarthy is officially declared for the NFL draft. 27-1. 27 and one record as the starting quarterback led the Wolverines to the national championship. And he said this of his experience there in Ann Arbor quote, after three incredible years at the university of Michigan, I have decided to enter the 2024 NFL draft. I have talked with many in and out of football, including my family coach Harbaugh and many whose opinions I greatly admire and respect. The decision was not easy And how could it be? I love my teammates, I love my coaches, and I love it here in Ann Arbor, he wrote. Now, he said after the semifinal loss to TCU last year, we're gonna grow from this, we're gonna learn, we're gonna come back, and we're gonna be better. All these things, all these promises that he made after the shortcomings of 22, he really set his sights on 23, and he delivered on that promise. Big 10 quarterback of the year, beating Ohio State, the 2023 Big Ten title, and then you beat Bama and Washington en route to the national championship, was the Rose Bowl offensive MVP, three touchdowns and a game-tying drive to force overtime. He did everything that you could possibly ask of him. Now, the one question I thought with J.J. McCarthy, whether or not he'd come back, obviously, going to be pressing the reset button just a little bit. I, a lot of people have started to create some type of lineage with J.J. McCarthy to Jim Harbaugh. And this is an indicator that Harbaugh's gone. And Harbaugh told McCarthy that that's why McCarthy's going to go. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I can connect the dots there. Uh, I just can't. I mean, Harbaugh might be very intrigued by an NFL opportunity, but if Michigan keeps it in-house and makes it Sharon Moore, like many people think it might be, then what changes for McCarthy? Sharon Moore was coaching his team for half of his regular season games this year. So I was a little surprised especially when you look at the pecking order. And I know Mel Kiper has his draft order amongst the quarterbacks. And in some uh, some have him a little higher. Others have him a little lower. But if you average it out across the board, J.J. McCarthy is about the fifth quarterback off the board this year. Behind Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels of LSU, and then Michael Penix. Now, J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, and a couple others there kind of in the late first round, early second round, who knows? But I think J.J. McCarthy is going to be a good pro. A lot of people have said, well, you know, he just manages the game. If you watch him against Alabama, he made a lot of great plays in that game. And while he didn't really get asked to do a whole lot against Washington in the national championship, I mean, they ran for 300, he made some... Key, key plays in that game. The third and 10 scramble when they were backed up. That was massive. Another run after that. A big throw to Roman Wilson there in the first quarter. I mean, he made some big plays in that game. The throw to Colston Loveland that kind of started the unraveling of Washington. So I think J.J. McCarthy, I'll remember his college career as being painfully underrated. The guy could always do more, but never felt like he needed to. Stayed within the system and did what he had to do to propel his team to 27 victories, Out of the 28 starts, the only loss coming against TCU last year, and they scored a lot of points in that game. Not blaming Michigan's defense, but they scored a lot of points in that game, that's for sure. So he's always done what he's supposed to do, so I wish J.J. McCarthy the best. I'll be real curious to see where he ends up and how things project for him as he he transitions to the next level. No surprise here. Blake Coram is officially declared for the NFL draft. I don't even know if he had more eligibility left. I can't keep track of these things anymore. I feel like every time I think someone's done, I see Casey Thompson transfer again, and now he's the backup quarterback at OU. Like, year seven, year eight, who cares? Play as long as you want. Doesn't matter. But Blake Corham has officially declared for the NFL draft, and I think Michigan fans will best remember uh, what Blake Coram meant to this past team but how he was kind of emblematic of the change. He was emblematic of the altering of the identity that we've seen from Michigan these last three years. To come back from an injury last year that cut his 2022 campaign short, remember he hurt his knee, wasn't able to do really anything in the Ohio State game, missed the postseason, but he returned from injury to lead the country in rushing touchdowns this year. Capped the season, with a game-winning touchdown against Alabama in the Rose Bowl, a receiving touchdown in that game, a couple rushing touchdowns in the national championship. I mean, throughout his career, the guy amassed how many touchdowns? Uh, 61, to be exact, including 58 on the ground. Those are program records. 27 rushing touchdowns in 23 represent a single-season program record, and 37-37 career rushing yards, 3,737. Career rushing yards are seventh all-time in Michigan history. But I also think, too, like I said, the numbers are great. He'll be an all-time great. He'll always be remembered. He'll never have to buy a drink in Ann Arbor, Michigan, or at least I hope he won't have to. If he does have to, he'll probably be able to afford it. (laughs) But I think his legacy will best be remembered with what he did off the field, including the toy drive ahead of the 23 holiday season, the annual turkey drives that he brought hundreds of turkeys two local families there around Thanksgiving, I think his legacy is going to live far beyond what he accomplished on the field. And also a signaling of the shift to going away from the RPO-centric mindset that they had in 18, 19, and 20 to the more ground-and-pound, four yards-and-a-cloud-of-dust type of mentality they had in 21, 22, and 23. So I'm grateful to have watched Blake Corum. I'm grateful to have covered Blake Corum, and I wish him nothing but the best because he seems like a 1st Class dude. Really pulling for him as he transitioned to the next level. The good news for Michigan, Donovan Edwards announced Monday on Twitter, or X, that he would be returning for 2024, so they still should be in very good hands at running back. Keeping it in the Big Ten. Now, we know that Michigan has dominated the Big Ten for the better part of the last three seasons. I don't think I need to tell anybody that. Anybody that's watched Big Ten football, it's been Michigan in 21, 22, and 23. They are the standard in the Big Ten. But I'm not sure that the standard going into 2024. Because if you look at what the Buckeyes have coming back in 24, they are loaded. All right? Loaded. Now, not only with the guys that they have returning, but also the guys that they've now added in the portal. Now, we know that the Buckeyes had an uncharacteristic commitment to the run game here in 23. They finished 88th among all FBS teams in rushing yards per game, and they were 79th in yards per rush, 60th in rushing touchdowns. All right, Now, they had some injuries that clearly factored in, including the injury to Travion Henderson. Uh, So they had to deal with a few things. He finished the season with 926 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns in just 10 games. But as if the rich needed to get richer, they go and they add Quinchon Judkins. From Ole Miss, who was the SEC Freshman of the Year, first-team All-SEC player in 2022, ran for nearly 1,200 yards in the 23 season. That was 25th most among the FBS backs in 15 touchdowns, which tied for the 11th most in the country. That's what he did at Ole Miss. And remember, too, if you think back to what he did two years ago, he was much better statistically. This year, he was nursing a rib injury for the first month of the season, so he really never got going at least not until the latter part of the year. So you got Travion Henderson, who has already proven the home run hitting ability. You add Quinshawn Judkins, who might be the best portal addition in the country at the running back spot. Might be, he's gotta be. I don't know who else would be. Maybe there's someone we're not thinking about right now, but Quinshawn Judkins is about as good as it gets. And adding him to the fold as a one-two punch is ridiculous. Yes, they lose Chip Traynham, who ended up second on the team in rushing yards, had the big touchdown against Notre Dame there at the very end, that capped that victory. He's transferring to Kentucky, but at the moment, Dallin Hayden is still on the roster, who didn't play a lot, but when he has been given reps and time, he's been pretty effective, most notably against Maryland in 2022. So you add Judkins, that gives you a ridiculous one-two punch with Henderson, (laughs) who... I'm not sure what they're going to do. I hope Will Howard, their new addition at quarterback, I hope he has plenty of opportunities to throw it because I'm not sure they're going to need to that much. Of course, it's tough to run the football in the Big Ten, but either way, that's an incredible one-two punch to kind of lean on, that's for sure. They also got good news on the defensive side of the football, and if you haven't been with us these last couple weeks, we haven't had many opportunities to talk about guys that are announcing their returning but JT Tuimolau has already said he's coming back this week. Had five sacks, seven tackles for a loss this past year. He's going to be back. Jack Sawyer is back, one of the first Buckeyes to say he was coming back for 24. He said about a, uh, a couple weeks ago that he was going to be coming back. Had 10 tackles for a loss, six and a half sacks this past year. Five of those six sacks actually came in the final three games of the season. So that was significant. Tyleek Williams is also back. He had 10 tackles for a loss last year. So they're in really good shape on the defensive side up front. But what about the back end? That was a question mark, right? Will they be able to reload on the back end the same way they have in the front seven? Well, yes. Denzel Burke has announced that he's going to be coming back. He was likely to be maybe a first-round pick had he declared for the draft. But he'll be the top corner and will probably be the guy that follows the best wide receiver all over the field. They also bring back Jordan Hancock, who's back at safety, who... I thought had a pretty good year, 41 tackles, two sacks, a couple picks in 23, played all over the field, played at nickel, played in the back end, played at safety, played free safety, played field safety, played boundary safety, played in the box. Kind of moved him around quite a bit. So you have all those guys coming back on defense. Emeka Ibuka's back as well. I mean, Ohio State is loaded, ladies and gentlemen, loaded. And it doesn't feel like they're done. With the coaching moves that have transpired at Arizona, We'll talk about them in a minute at Washington, at Alabama, other places that could come up in the event in which NFL jobs come open. There's going to be more guys entering the portal. And based on how things have gone up to this point, it does appear like Ryan Day is going to be really aggressive to try to add quality pieces to what already is a loaded roster. So Ohio State is well positioned to take a big step forward, given the upheaval that's gone on at Michigan, potentially in the event in which Jim Harbaugh leaves. So you're saying that Ohio State is the favorite in the Big Ten next year. Even though they haven't beaten Michigan in three years, does that put more pressure on Ryan Day, knowing that coming into a 12-team playoff, like you have this roster overhaul you're looking at, you got a manageable schedule. Does that put more pressure on him, you think? I don't know how the pressure can get any higher on Ryan Day. I mean, people say, well, more pressure, less pressure. Like the pressure at Ohio State is kind of always gonna be at or near the top. So I, I think this will be a very, very pressure-packed year for Ryan Day, but I think they're well positioned. I think you can make a case that they've upgraded at quarterback. Some people say it's a it's a lateral move. I don't I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's a slight uptick at quarterback. You had better depth the running back and more home running hitting ability with Quinshawn Judkins' addition. And in the event in which Trayvon Henderson does get banged up, which has happened from time to time, there won't be a massive drop-off to the next best guy. Dallin Hayden's still there to provide really adequate depth as well. Defensively, we saw how much better they were this year than they were in the past. You got to think that that group's only going to continue to play at a really high level. So I think Ohio State is definitely the favorite going into this upcoming year. Got to see what happens with Michigan. Look, they're the granddaddy until, until, until seen otherwise, but based on preseason prognostications, we don't just keep you there for the sake of keeping you there. Like, we reevaluate every year, and right now, based on who's coming back for Ohio State and who's departing for Michigan, I do think Ohio State has a slight edge at the moment but either way yes the pressure is going to be at an all-time high for Ryan Day just like it was in 23 just like it was in 22 just like it was every year since he took over for Urban Meyer a handful of years ago after a surprising move by Kalen DeBoer to leave Washington on the heels of losing in the national championship to take over the head coaching job at Alabama after Nick Saban retired it kind of created a bit of a uh, I guess a, a kind of a, a carousel that started to spin out of control. So Washington and Troy Dan in their AD they started to evaluate. All right, who's who's next up? And I personally thought it was going to be Ryan Grubb. They had had so much success, so much success under Kalen DeBoer that you kind of want to keep that momentum going. And, and Ryan Grubb has turned down multiple G five opportunities to become a head coach. He's going to be patient. I would strongly advise him to continue to be patient because a big one's likely going to land in his lap sooner than later. We'll talk about Ryan Grubb in a minute, but once they passed over Grubb, they decided to focus their attention elsewhere, and they landed on the head coach of Arizona, Jed Fish. Now, Jed Fish did... I don't want to call it the unthinkable, but it kind of felt like we were never going to see Arizona back in the limelight. To think a team... That was 1-11, and in just a couple seasons, they finished at 10-3. and Clearly a top-15 team in the country this past year. Some massive wins. Massive wins and a breakthrough. A win against UCLA in Utah, Oregon State, Arizona State, and Oklahoma. To see a team that finished in top-11... And expected to be one of the conference favorites in the Big 12 next year. Remember, Arizona's moving from the Pac-12 to the Big 12, which is still a little bit messed up to me. I'm good with it. I'm fine with it. It's going to take some getting used to. But this is the first 10-win season since 2014 and only their fourth in program history. They were also probably going to be one of the top groups, knowing that Noah Fafita was back. Uh, McMillan at wide receiver was likely going to be back. They returned 18 of their 22 starters, but Jed Fish decided to leave Anyways, this is a massive coup for Washington. Now, Jed Fish did something very, very quickly at a place that many thought was going to be in a really tough spot. So he deserves ample credit, but it's kind of shocking to look at Jed Fish's timeline. I went back and I pulled it up, and I was trying to figure out, where's his longest stay? Where's his longest stop? Well, it was from 2004 until 2007. That was four years where he was an offensive assistant for the Baltimore Ravens. Other than that, it's like one year, one year, two years, two years, three years, four years. Everything has been very quick for Jed Fish. He started in 97 at PK Young Developmental Research School in Florida as the defensive coordinator. Then in 98, he went to the New Jersey Red Dogs. Don't even know what that is. Wide receiver and quality control. Then he was a GA at Georgia in ninety nine and two, or a GA, excuse me, at Florida in ninety nine and two thousand. Before he got the defensive quality control coach at the Houston Texans for two thousand two and two thousand three. Then he had his longest stretch in Baltimore, where he was an offensive assistant, wide receivers coach in Denver with the Broncos. OC and quarterback coach in Minnesota in 2009. 2010, he was the quarterback coach in Seattle. 11 and 12, he was the OC and quarterback coach at Miami. 13 and 14 OC at Jacksonville. 15, 16 quarterback wide receiver passing game coordinator at Michigan. 2017, UCLA. 2017, interim head coach at UCLA. Los Angeles Rams senior assistant in 18. Los Angeles Rams assistant offensive coordinator in 19. Patriots in 20. Arizona 21, 22, 23. And now he will take over at Washington. This guy is well-traveled. He is extremely well-traveled, but he made magic happen in Tucson, Arizona. I will think it's going to be fascinating. And I'll say this, like I'm never comfortable with guys jumping around to jobs. I'm not. I'm really not. It makes me really uncomfortable, especially knowing to the commitment and the buy-in that he expected from the players. I'm not going to rip dead fish. You got to do what's best for you professionally. Uh, But people that get all upset about the portal, people get all upset about the players and the freedom the players have. Like, this is why this is why like when you have coaches that are all over the place and constantly moving around the players also have to have some sense of freedom. And maybe that freedom will be exercised for Arizona. Maybe McMillan and Fafita will decide to enter the portal together and go somewhere, probably very lucrative fashion, go somewhere to become the quarterback and wide receiver duo that they were in Tucson. But this is a terrible situation for Arizona. I feel awful for them because they are now stepping into a very difficult spot. Now, let's talk about Arizona for just a minute. Since November... Their president, Robert Robbins, has dealt with a $240 million budget, quote, miscalculation. I, I don't know what that means. Um, how do you just lose $240 million? I haven't dove into it. But it started with an athletic hiring freeze and massive budget changes. Now, AD Dave Heek released a financial update Outlined the department's plan to ride out the crisis now it wasn't the worst news they have no immediate plans to eliminate sports but it also wasn't very encouraging all major construction projects for example are paused after the completion of the golf center which got to have that the good news is arizona has invested a lot in football over the last 10 years, they have updated many facilities, including Arizona Stadium. They have a really nice football facility that opened in 2013 that has everything that you could possibly imagine. I actually went and saw it. It's really nice. It's about 200,000 square feet. It is really nice. Top flight training facilities, locker rooms, offices, you name it. They also have a $60.5 million indoor practice facility that opened in 19 that's right across the street from Arizona Stadium and their football office building. So they have everything that they need right now from a facility standpoint to maintain the status quo. But with budget issues, how much will that impact their ability to go hire coaches. Because if you talk to people that are familiar with the situation, a lot of the decision that went down for Jed Fish, it wasn't because he wanted to leave. It's the fact that he was making $3.25 million, which I acknowledge is a lot of money. Now he's making seven point eight, roughly, at Washington for the next handful of seasons. So he did it in order to better situate himself with a league, the Big Ten, and a program, Washington, that's going to have a little bit more even feeling, predictable uh, landscape financially moving forward. I hate it. I hate it for Arizona. I hate it that all their players are kind of left in limbo, but there are some quality candidates that I think they should give legit consideration to. They already have a good thing going. So much like we just talked about with Ryan Grubb at Washington – Obviously, they decided to go elsewhere. They felt like a guy with head coaching experience was really beneficial. Maybe Arizona won't necessarily have that luxury. The good news is their offensive coordinator, Brennan Carroll, could be a solid option that is internal. He's done a really good job. He's been the OC, the offensive line coach, a really strong recruiting background. He spent six years with his dad, Pete Carroll, Seattle Seahawks staff, and he also was a tight ends coach at USC in Miami from 2004 to 2014. So he's been around the college game, been around the program. And I do think if they are trying to maintain some semblance of continuity, try to hang on to McMillan, try to hang on to Fafita, maybe they just promote Brendan Carroll from within, remove the offensive coordinator tag and add the head coach tag to Brendan Carroll. But Pete Carroll's offspring, man, you know he's gotta be a great dude. I don't know him, but I'm sure he's awesome. And I hope that he gets a a good long look as the possible long-term solution for Arizona. You also have UNLV head coach Barry Odom, who in his first year at UNLV went nine and five with an appearance in the Mountain West championship game. It was by far UNLV's best season in nearly a half century. And UNLV led the Mountain West in scoring offense, but they just lost their quarterback, which is less than ideal. And before UNLV... Barry Odom has power five experience as Missouri's head coach. He was there from 2016 to 2019, a couple bowl appearances, pretty good stint as Arkansas's defensive coordinator. So he's been a guy that's kind of done more with less for a long time and also a top flight dude. So a guy that I would strongly consider if I were in charge of the Arizona hiring search. And the last guy that I think will be under considerable consideration Brent Brennan. Uh, Now, he was a candidate the last time. Went all the way down to the very end. They opted to go with Jed Fish. But Brent Venon, who's the San Jose State head coach, he was in the mix. Uh, And since then, he's gone 19 and 18 in the three years. But you look at kind of how things have gone for them. Man, they played pretty well. There, after a little bit of a tough start and a brutal opening schedule in September for Brent Brennan. They got going a little bit down the stretch, so he might be worth a long look. And then Washington State's head coach, Jake Dickert, who's entering his fourth year with Washington State, knowing that Washington State's in a little bit of limbo right now, maybe he might be willing to consider listening to Arizona, knowing that their future is a little bit more well mapped out than what the Pac-12 schools, Oregon State and Washington State, are currently dealing in. Obviously, the first task of the new coach will be try to do whatever you can to keep that group together. All these guys that bought in last year, that had a great program-changing season, keeping them together won't be easy, but whoever the new head coach is, that will be their first task. And I think it starts with Noah Fafita and McMillan. If you can get those two guys in place, they played high school together, they played in youth leagues together, if you can keep those guys at Arizona, that would be massive for their future and to kind of hold things together there in the short term for the Wildcats. Alabama's coaching staff is starting to come together. There was a little bit of cloudiness as to how it's all going to be pieced together, but it's starting to focus just a hair. It starts with Ryan Grubb, who will be the offensive coordinator for the Crimson Tide. It's amazing that him and Kalen DeBoer go back as far as they do. And this two, man, these two together, they can complete each other's sentences. I think this is a massive coup for the Crimson Tide. Nick Saban tried to hire Ryan Grubb last year to become the offensive coordinator. Ryan Grubb felt like his loyalty to Kalen DeBoer outweighed the possibility of taking a step professionally. He also thought that last year was going to be a really special season for Washington, so he decided to stay put. He was right. But this duo dates all the way back to their time in 2007 when they were on the staff at Sioux Falls University, which is NAIA football. Of course, DeBoer won three national championships in his five years as the head coach at Sioux Falls. But Grubb and him go back a long, long way. Now, Grubb's one of the best. One of the best as far as creating formations using multiple looks using multiple personnels and creating opportunities for wide receivers down the field in the event in which they get open but if you think about Ryan Grubb's background he's an offensive line coach which is a little counterintuitive you would not think an offensive line coach would lead an offense that would lead the country in passing but if you think about where they were in the NAIA levels, there were three full-time coaches, three. Grubb was one of those, and Kaitlin DeBoer was the head guy. So you kind of have to learn how the entire process is put together. So you can focus on the O-line coach at the Power 5 level or the G5 level, but he learned early in his career how to see it from a holistic All-22 perspective that has now allowed him to become one of the best offensive play callers in the country. So he's had some stops They've had some innovative turnarounds at Eastern Michigan, Fresno State, and obviously Washington. And the time that he was there as the OC, he was 25-3. and three. So, pretty amazing run. In addition to Ryan Grubb, who will coordinate the offense, they've learned, or at least people have started to assume, that Scott Huff, the offensive line coach, will also join Grubb on the staff. The wide receiver coach, Jamarcus Shepard. And tight ends coach Nick Sheridan will also join the offensive staff there at Alabama. Now, Scott Huff did an amazing job with the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. The wide receiver coach, Jamarcus Shepard, does have some roots in the Southeast and has recruited that part of the country before. And if you look at what he did this past year with that trio of wideouts, you can imagine that he is probably one of the most sought after wide receiver coaches in the country. And Nick Sheridan does have OC experience at Indiana a few years back, but has now reverted back to a position that he's very comfortable and familiar with as the tight ends coach. So we'll see exactly what they're going to do as far as their assignments and roles will be. But those three combined with a few others could be really significant for the Crimson Tide. The running backs coach, Robert Gillespie is expected to remain on staff. Uh, He's a Mississippi native has deep ties in the South is a terrific recruiter. A terrific recruiter. I mentioned Nick Sheridan as well. OC experience, but was a former assistant at Tennessee. So you got Grubb and Gillespie and Sheridan that have all recruited that area. They're also expected to retain Freddie Roach, who's the defensive line coach. And there are rumblings. There was a big move a couple days ago that Traveris Robinson, the defensive backs coach, corner coach, but really helped quite a bit with Kevin Steele in assisting the play calling. Now I won't go into the depths as to his involvement, but I will say this T Rob was integral, integral to Alabama's defensive prowess from week three, all the way through the rest of the season. He was hands-on and did a great job with that unit. His position group in particular really played at a high level. So T Rob would be a massive coup for Kalen DeBoer. They met, he had already taken a job as the co-defensive coordinator at Georgia. But I'm told that the ink isn't dry just yet with that potential move to Georgia. So in the event in which T-Rob comes back, that would be significant. But we'll keep you updated with any moves that might go down as it relates to Alabama's defensive staff. As it relates to Washington, there are a couple really key players in the portal. You knew you knew that when Kalen DeBoer was going to leave, there were going to be several important players that might consider jumping in the portal. Well, there weren't many, to be honest with you, because a lot have decided to go on to the NFL. But a couple that are in the portal right now could potentially find a home very, very soon. Jabbar Muhammad and Mish Powell, two excellent defensive backs for Washington, are officially in the portal. Now, Muhammad was probably one of the biggest contributors on Washington's roster last year. He's a two-time transfer, started his career at Oklahoma State, transferred to Washington prior to the 23 season, and immediately became the primary corner and led the team with 17 PBUs. He also had three picks, two of which came in the victory against Oregon State. Mish Powell, who played really everywhere in the secondary. The guy primarily played the Husky position, which would be the nickel but he played a little bit at free safety when they had some injuries and they can kind of move him around, but a very instinctive player that's a pretty good blitzer as well. Had a couple, couple tackles for loss, uh, had 38 tackles in general, had a couple big plays throughout the season. So he would be a guy that I think might garner some attention nationally. If you need a really versatile defender in the back end defensively. Now, I think a lot of people are already starting to connect dots. Well, are they going to Alabama? Well, Alabama does kind of have a need at the position. Uh, you have Cooley McKinstry and Terry and Arnold. They're two corners. Both have opted to go into the NFL draft. Now, Mish Powell is not your traditional corner, and Jabbar Muhammad doesn't have great length. He's only 5'10 or 5'11, but either way, he's proven it at a high level that he can defend some of the best wide receivers in the country. So we'll be keeping a close eye on those two, Jabbar Muhammad and Mish Powell, to see where their next destination may be. We have found out what the next destination is for the top quarterback prospect in the portal. That would be Miami. Cam Ward said on January 1st that he was going to enter the NFL draft. He was going pro. Now, he didn't sign with an agent, which kind of left the door open. Maybe he'd change his mind. Remember, he was kind of going back and forth. There was a bit of a bidding war going on between Florida State and Miami. But he decided to enter the NFL draft. And he had said, well, you know, second round, third round. I'd heard it probably more likely to be day three. Now, Cam Ward's got a unique skill set, a really unique skill set. But a lot of what he does is improvisational, where he runs around, creates, can can kind of extend plays, keeps his eyes downfield, and dumps it off. He's very difficult to defend. But he's also a guy whose skill set at the moment isn't going to translate seamlessly to the professional ranks. But as far as college is concerned, the guy's legit. 44 games started between his time at Washington State and Incarnate Word. That's where he started his career at the FCS level, but he finished the regular season as the number four passer in the country, throwing for over 3,700 yards and 33 touchdowns against just seven interceptions. It was a great year. He was an offense that gave him a lot of freedom to be the playmaker that he needed to be, and now he's going to be moving into a system with Shannon Dawson, who I think is excellent, which is a really good fit for him. Now, this Miami offense still ranked in the top 40 nationally, 31 and a half points per game, but the quarterback play at times was really up and down. This is an immediate boost to Miami. It's no disrespect to Tyler Van Dyke. He played great early, and then his game kind of fell off as the season progressed. Cam Ward is going to be able to make more off-schedule plays than Tyler Van Dyke. So I'll be fascinated to see how he fits into the offense for Dawson, who has a tendency to mold his offense to what his quarterback is most comfortable doing. So I think this is a great pickup for Miami. And if you look right now, you look right now in the ACC, and we're not going to you know, get into the mix and get into the business of making our prognostications today, but Florida State lost a lot of really good players. They've done a great job of restocking in the portal. Clemson brings back a real nice young nucleus that should take a significant step given how they came on at the end of the year. But man, the ACC, I think, is going to be really solid, really solid, in large part due to the fact that Clemson's not going anywhere, Florida State's not likely going anywhere. But I do think Miami could take a significant leap now that they're going to hold down the fort at the quarterback spot with Cam Ward coming in from Washington State. Other notable transfers that have gone on here in the last couple days. Isaiah Bond, wide receiver from Alabama, has officially transferred to Texas. He announced this on Sunday. He was the leading receiver for Alabama. Entered the portal on Friday, was the first Alabama player to enter the portal after Nick Saban retired. Now, productivity was good, not elite, but he had some big-time moments and was a top 100 recruit when he came out of high school a couple years back. 48 catches for 668 and four touchdowns. His biggest play coming on the fourth and 31 touchdown against Auburn, where he broke free at the last minute at the perfect time to reel in that game-sealing interception. This is pretty significant for Alabama. This is the 11th wide receiver that Alabama has lost in the portal from its 2020, 21, 22, and 23 recruiting classes. The last wide receiver to be recruited by Alabama and finish his college career with Alabama was John Mechie and he was signed in the 2019 class. Now, Bond, I think, can get a little bit bigger. He's about 5'11", 182, but he should factor in really nicely to an offense that is going to be without some proven playmakers. Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, and Jatavion Sanders have all decided to go to the next level, which means you look at Texas and that wide receiver room, I'm not saying it's bare bones, but there's a lot of productivity that was lost Off the 23 team. They did bring in Houston transfer Matthew Golding, and they do have sophomore Jonte Cook, who they're very excited about. But Bond should be able to step right in and kind of fill the void of Xavier Worthy as a catch and run guy that can be really crafty on the downfield stuff as well. They have a couple other guys they're very excited about too DeAndre Moore and Ryan Niblett. But it'll be interesting, I think, to see how things all work out, especially knowing that five star signy Ryan Wingo will also be a part of the freshman class. They have a few more signed in the freshman class as well. So they have plenty of options available for Quinn Ewers and Steve Sarkeesian to have one of the better passing attacks in the SEC next year. As far as Alabama is concerned, a little bit thin at the position right now. They still have Kobe Prentice. They still have uh, Kendrick Law. They still have Jalen Hale. Those are the top returning wideouts as far as targets are concerned. But they're probably going to look to the portal, if I were to guess, to try to bring in some veterans, bring in some guys that have a little bit more experience to kind of offset some of the youth that Prentice Law and Hale might have. They're also still going after Ryan Williams, who's a five-star, decided to decommit from Alabama, but he reclassified and still very open with his recruitment. He might still be an option for the Tide if they can get him back on board, and I think that would be a high priority for Kalen DeBoer and his staff to get him to listen to what they have to say. One other receiver of significance that is also in the portal, Evan Stewart. He decided to leave the portal and commit to Oregon. Now, if you look at what Oregon's bringing in, man, I mean, they are in a great spot, a great spot to make a run at the college football playoff this year. They've already added quarterback Dylan Gabriel to be the successor to Bo Nicks. They bring back their starting tackles, Johnny Cornelius and Josh Connolly. Tez Johnson, Treshawn Holden, and Gary Bryant are all back at wide receiver. Now, they got to replace the crazy productive Troy Franklin who decided to leave. But man, this offense, if you can add Evan Stewart into that role of Troy Franklin, a guy that's big and can get down the field, he's got great speed, and if he can stay healthy... They could have a significant impact difference maker that just joined them by way of the portal. So a massive pickup for Dan Lanning and company to add to what is already a well-established offensive juggernaut more than likely next year in Eugene, Oregon. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your show. We appreciate you being with us. These are the shows that you can probably anticipate here for the better part of the offseason, we'll have things that are built in, we'll have big picture discussions, but we're going to be keeping you up to date because, man, this thing moves quick. By the time I get done even taping this, editing this, posting this, everything that I said could be dead. It could be over. It could be old news. But keep it locked in because we will update you with emergency podcasts. As often as we need to, to make sure that you are up to date with everything that's going on in an ever-changing landscape in college football. Y'all, 2024 might be one of the most exciting college football off-seasons we've ever had. With all the realignment, with all the changes, with the 12-team playoff, there's a lot of unknowns. Well, I can promise you, if you listen to this show, you will be as buttoned up as it gets when we head into the season. And we have toe meet leather, I believe, in Dublin, between Florida State and Georgia Tech, which will unofficially get the season underway even though many teams will start a week later. But still, a lot to be excited about, a lot to look forward to, and a lot that we need to break down. Like, rate, subscribe. Subscribe to the ESPN YouTube channel, College Football. That would be awesome as well. And for all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football.